All right. Thank you, Sam. Awesome. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing good? All right. You can tell me later in more detail. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. Love being here with you. Turn with me to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. And uh, dive into the Lord has a word for us today. We've been continuing this series called A God's Eye View, where God is giving us a kingdom perspective, an eternal kingdom perspective from His view of our life and our world. You know, everybody and every culture has a world view. It's how you view yourself. It's where you think everything came from, where it's all going. And your world view shapes how you view yourself, the world, your life, but it shapes the decisions you and I make. The things that you value... They're either like our cultures or they're like the kingdoms. And sometimes a little bit of both, right? The, things, the decisions you make, they either align with this world's value system or they align with the kingdom. And uh, it's so important for us to get this kingdom perspective, isn't it? That's what we've been doing over these last number of weeks. We've been gaining a kingdom perspective. And what God is doing is He's shifting us. That's been one of the, the main prophetic words that God has been telling us is that he's, he's causing us to shift. He's shifting us from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life. Uh, Clint, last week, powerful message, and I, I really encourage you to get the CD or go online and listen to Clint's message. Very, uh, just so... Pro- part of God's life. That's really what this series is about. It's a shifting where we understand our life and our desires and our agendas are to be in God's life, in His kingdom and His agenda. Super powerful message. And uh, I apologize, there's sound issues, isn't there? But uh, it's okay. I'm just going to keep preaching and going for it, all right, here? Not let anything hold me back. So you just uh, stay focused on the Word and uh, ignore the man behind the curtain and all that. All right. So you remember, before we read the verses, we're going to start in verse 24, you'll remember that the Peter was hanging out with Jesus, with the rest of the disciples, and Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one who boldly said, you're the Christ. And Jesus said to Peter, you're blessed, Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah. He says, and not that Jonah got caught in the whale, by the way, uh, he said, you're blessed. He says, because you didn't figure this out on your own. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out. He said, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And so Peter is being affirmed for his spiritual insight, the fact that he had ears to hear and eyes to see, and that he had realized by being with Jesus and by listening to Jesus that Jesus wasn't just some teacher. He realized Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ the Messiah, the, the one that God sent to save the world. He boldly said this, but Jesus is saying, dude, way to go. He's blessing him, but he's blessing him for catching something in the Spirit. <clears throat> then the next thing Jesus says, as we've been looking at, is he says, I'm going to build my church. He says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail. And we've been talking about the fact that one day Jesus is coming back. He's going to come and reign on this earth. He's going to restore this world and make a new heaven and a new earth. This old earth will pass away, but even the heavens will pass away, and he'll make a new heaven and a new earth where everything's integrated. We've been talking about that, the fact that when Jesus is on earth, he will reign on earth, and he will establish righteousness and justice in all the earth. All the nations will follow him as Lord, and he will lead the world, all the nations, with his law, the law of love which we find in the Word of God. All right? This is the digital version. Uh, He will lead the world with the Word of God. How does He do that? He does that by producing His righteousness in us, His love in us, and His Word in us. He wrote it on our hearts by His Spirit. That's what the Bible says. So one day He's going to come, and His kingdom will fill the earth completely. He will wipe away injustice he will reward those who are faithful to him. He will, make, he will restore all things. We've been talking about this in this eternal perspective. 
Yet we also have been learning that his kingdom is already here. When he came, when he died and rose, his kingdom came. He's the king of his kingdom and he has come. The resurrection is called, uh, his resurrection, he's called the firstborn among many. And we who have the spirit are called, said that, it says that we have the first fruits of the spirit. His kingdom has come and his kingdom is increasing. Isaiah 9 says of the increase of his government peace there will be no end. Right now his kingdom has come and his kingdom is increasing on the earth. And we've been learning, I've been telling you stories from revival uh, history and even just we, a couple weeks ago we watched a video on just one thing God was doing on the earth. God is doing awesome stuff on the earth because Jesus is leading his church, building his church and transforming the nations. And so this is the perspective that the Lord is trying to give us. He's trying to show us that my kingdom is here. My kingdom is increasing. And one day I'm going to reign on this earth. And it's real simple. You seek that kingdom. We're not living for that. Clint last week said, you can't have two agendas. When, you're a, when there's a head and a body, you can't have two agendas. Jesus is the head, we're the body. If he's Lord and King, we can't have two agendas. And his agenda is to make disciples of all nations. His agenda is to fill this earth with his kingdom, restoring all things by bringing justice to the earth. There can't be two agendas. And so if we're not seeking first the kingdom, if we're not about our Father's business, Jesus makes it very clear, wasting our life. And so the Lord is inviting us into this kingdom perspective. You know, have you ever been uh, like in a mall or something like that where you're like totally around and lost? It's one of those big like Ontario Mills ones where they're like intentionally try to confuse you, right? But what do you do? What do you do? What kind of map do they draw? It's an aerial view, isn't it? When you're all like, oh, where am I? And how do I get to that store? What do you do? You go find the directory you look at this big map, and it's an aerial view. It shows you the whole perspective, the whole context. And then you look for what you're, you're looking for, and also there's the dot that says you are here. That always helps, right? But that's what we need, isn't it? See, it's, you're saying, well, what's my purpose? What decision should I make tomorrow? Who should I marry? What job should I have? See, we're asking all these questions, and guess what? Those are very relevant questions, and Jesus, as the Lord of your life, wants to lead you in that. If, if your life is in God's life, if your life is in God's life, then stewarding the life he has given you is part of following him. You know that? Like, I, I, I own property. I steward that to the glory of God. He blesses us and we steward that, right? All of our money, all of our time, all of our resources, all of our relationships, we capitalize on them. We leverage them for the glory of God. And so all that we are, we give into the kingdom. And so a lot of times when you're asking these questions, and we need to hear the Lord, or you're wondering about your identity or your purpose or you're struggling with these things, even this morning when the Lord was giving us a, a, a word, He was saying, maybe you're struggling with something. And I know there were some people here as the Lord was prophesying to us, hey, you're struggling, give it to me. What we need is what we were singing. Give me a vision for your kingdom. Sometimes we need to take a step back and realize it's not about me, it's about him, right? It's not about my little worries and fears and my needs and desires. We need to stay, take a step back and realize your life is in God's life. Your life is in the kingdom. And therefore, like I said earlier when I was prophesying over us, if he's your shepherd, he's your Lord, if you're in the kingdom, no lack. So we need to make it our primary goal to understand what it looks like to come into the kingdom and to live in the kingdom as disciples. Which is why, of course, as a church, we'll always say we are a community of fully devoted followers of Christ. Because what we're saying is, what we care about, number one around here, is what does it look like to follow Jesus? Amen? So Peter is getting this kingdom perspective, if you will, right? He's seeing in Matthew 16, whoa, Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus is telling Peter, I'm going to build my church. Nothing's going to stop me from bringing my kingdom to earth the way I promised it all throughout the word of God. Peter's getting this. And then Jesus says to him, right after that, in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things 
many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So immediately when Peter starts to get this kingdom perspective, Jesus explains to him, now here's how I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to die. <laughs> and he didn't understand how that fit. Wait, I thought you were supposed to be king and reign. You know? <laughs> of course he's going to reign. Of course he's the king. But he's the servant king who came to die for our sins. He shed his blood to purchase you and me, to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into the kingdom. Because why? It's impossible for us to be saved. It's impossible for us to come into the kingdom except by his grace. Amen? So he's explaining to Peter the redemptive plan. And Peter's like, I don't like the sound of that. That sounds like defeat, not victory. That sounds like death, not life. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus says in verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then he says to all the disciples, verse 24, and this is what he's saying to us. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels... And then he will reward each according to his works. Did you notice in verse 24, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me. If anyone desires to come after me. And then what's interesting is in verse 25, he explains a little bit more. He says, if you desire to come after me, If you want to be my follower, you want to be where I am, you really love me, you really love my presence, you really love my ways, you love my kingdom, and you want me, you really want me. He says, you're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and you're going to need to follow me. He's, He's telling us what to do if we really want him. Now, there's a lot of people that would say, yeah, yeah, I like salvation stuff. I like that. Yeah, I'll take the ticket to heaven. Sounds good to me. Free? Free forgiveness? Ooh, I like that. You mean I just like accept Jesus and I'm forgiven I get to go to heaven? Sounds good to me. Yeah, it sounds good to me too, right? I take it. That, that's what it means to desire him. Ooh, God loves me? Yeah, I like that. I like it too. Wow, Jesus is really good. I like that. Or how about all of the rewards and the promises and the blessings that are in the Word of God? Like Clint highlighted a number of those. The Scriptures basically say all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I mean, He promises blessing. He promises if you and I are faithful to Him to the end, we will reign with Him for eternity. That sounds good. I like that. And so what He's saying, He's saying, if you want that... You want me and all that I mean. You want Jesus. I just want to know Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to know God, right? You want God. He says, well, if you want me, you're going to need to do something. You're going to need to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And then he gives an explanation in verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you notice that he repeats the word desire there? Verse 24 and verse 25. You notice that? In verse 24, whoever desires me, whoever desires to come after me. Then in verse 25, whoever desires to save his or her life. You ever desire two things at once? You ever had conflicting desires? You ever desired Jesus, but at the same time you desired to hold on to your life? 
That's the conflict, isn't it? And the scriptures tell us that the flesh and the spirit war against each other, right? That the spirit desires, literally in Galatians 5, the spirit, your spirit, your born again spirit, desires against the flesh and the flesh, that part of you that is still broken and fallen and selfish, desires against the spirit. There are literally warring desires inside of you and Jesus is telling you, if you really want me, you're going to have to die to those other desires. So you and I, we have conflicting desires inside of us. We desire to save our life. What does that mean? We desire to save our life. It means we want to be seen and recognized, right? Like the Pharisees. You know, that's the essence of religion, right? That they did it because they wanted to be seen. Look at me, I'm praying. Look at me, I'm fasting. Look at me, I'm doing good things, right? Or money. Holding on to our money. Not giving our money away to the poor or to the broken or to the cause of the gospel. Why? Because we think that the money is our provider. See, Jesus is saying that anytime you think those things are your provider, anytime you think you make those things your Lord, like if you think about money more than you think about God, you worry about your money more than you're concerned about the things of the kingdom, well, who's your God? Jesus said you can either serve God or mammon, which means stuff, by the way, right? Money, stuff, toys, things. You care more about the stuff than God and His kingdom and His work. He says... You can only have one master. And then he says, so why are you worried about your clothes and your food? Worry is evidence that that money is your provider. He's trying to say, that's you trying to save your life. You trying to save your life is you trying to save your reputation. You trying to save your money. You trying to save your career. You trying to save your ministry. That's what Clint was talking about, about selfish ambition last week. And Jesus is saying that those things cannot be in conflict. It's exactly what Clint said last week. There can only be one agenda. We have to settle who's the king of the kingdom, who's the head of the church, who's the leader of my life, who owns me, who's my master. Amen? It's Jesus. We need to settle who is in the driver's seat. There's a lot of Christians, most Christians, that it's like their feet are on two different skateboards. And if you're a male, that's going to really hurt. I mean, sooner or later, if, you're, if one foot is on one skateboard and another foot's on another skateboard, you might be really coordinated, but I don't know. I mean, sooner or later, one's going to go one way and the other's going to go another way, right? See, you and I have conflicting desires. You have conflicting values. You say, well, I really like this, but I really like that. You know, a lot of times, we'll t- I'll talk to people and I'll, you know, just we, we call sin, sin, envy, pride, arrogance, lust. We just call it what it is, right? Coveting, it is. And so you sell somebody, no, you got envy in your heart. Or I say that to me, you know, Dave, you got envy in your heart. But a lot of times if you tell it, hey, that's envy, people say, no, but I really want God. Well, of course you really want God, but you also want that other stuff. And Jesus is really asking this, which one do you want more? Because the reality is, is that if you want that stuff more, you can have it, but you'll lose your soul. Right? I didn't, I mean, right here. You know what I'm saying? If, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, which is every single day willing to die for the name of Christ. Literally die for the name of Christ. Suffer and die for Christ. If that's what it takes. It's funny, we're like, oh, we don't have physical persecution around here in America. But yet we say things like, well, I can't share Jesus at the workplace because they'll fire me. So what are you afraid of? Who's your provider? Who's your Lord? Now I'm not saying be disrespectful and dishonoring and do it when you should be working. I'm just saying... We need to think about this for a second. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Jesus is saying, if you are afraid of what other people think more than what I think of you, that's you saving your life. You see what I'm saying? 
So you might say, oh, I really love Jesus, but I want to keep my pornography addiction. I really love Jesus, but I'm too busy to whatever, spend time with him or go to church or whatever. Obviously, you're not too busy to go to church or here, but you know what I'm saying, right? I'm too busy for community. I'm too busy for, right? Then what are you saying? Saying those things are more important to me or they're my provider or they're my Lord or those people that I'm fearing are more important to me. But if you get a kingdom or eternal perspective, then you realize death is a lie. We're already resurrected. and We're going to reign with him. You can take my money. You can take my property. You can take my life. I'm going to reign with Jesus. You understand? You say, oh, we're not a, we, we don't need to worry about that in America. Yeah, but what happens when people go through trials? What happens when, well, what happens when mo- many, many Christians around the world are losing their life and losing their stuff for Jesus? What, is God not faithful to his promises? What, is God not good to them? Of course he is. <clears throat> and so, these conflicting desires, they need to be dealt with in our life. Now, always we're going to be having that refined, right? There's always going to be that ongoing refinement in our hearts. And I love how last week Clint brought up the fact that we need to look at things going on inside of our hearts. Clint said, hey, you can just look at your emotions. He's absolutely right. You can look at your emotions. If you, if you see ambition or envy or these types of things inside of you, you, you know that, that it's you and not his agenda. But I want to point out something that has nothing to do with your emotions. I want to point out something that Jesus talked about very in your face. Jesus often didn't say, well, just look at your emotions. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with Clint. He didn't say, well, look at your emotions, look at your heart. He actually said, look at your works. Look at this, he says this, he explains it. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For my sake, for my sake. Loses his life for my sake. What does that mean? That means you living to know Jesus and to become like him, walk in his ways and to make him known. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, he defines it as that. Living your life so that other people would come to know Jesus. He defines it as that. Very clearly, to lose our life for Jesus' sakes means we're leaving everything of our agenda and our comfort, and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. And he goes on to explain here that if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. What does he mean by find life? He's talking about eternal life, which doesn't just mean the duration of your life. Oh, you get to live forever. No, he's talking about what we've been talking about, reigning with Christ blessings and rewards and promises. In Mark chapter 10, he says the person who leaves everything for him and the gospel will get a hundredfold in this life and eternal life. Every Jewish person who is hearing this and heard eternal life, they understood, oh, dude, we're going to reign with Jesus, get blessing. They understood that they were ta- Jesus was talking about the quality of that life where all the promises of God are fulfilled. Jesus is saying, you will find eternal life. You will find the things that I want to give you, the things that I want to bless you with, the things that you're desiring. You'll find it when you die to your own selfish desires and you give yourself to the work of the kingdom. And so he actually says here, he says in verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father, right? In light of the fact that he's returning, he'll return with his angels. And listen, and then he will reward each according to his Works. Works. That's not like just one verse. That doesn't, that, that doesn't happen like one time in the Bible. You know, every time it talks about our reward in the Scriptures, every time Jesus comes back, I mean, every time it talks about Jesus coming back and us standing before the throne of Christ, it always says we will be rewarded according to our work. Wait a minute, I thought we weren't saved by works. I thought like, right? I thought we were saved by grace. See, there's a deception in the church nowadays where people say, oh, we're saved by grace. I hear people say this. Oh, we're saved by grace, which means we don't have to do anything. 
No, that's not what it said. <laughs> not what it said. See, you were created to work. Did you know that? Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve created to reign and to rule. And Adam, God created a garden. And he said, work it. You realize you were created to work. Adam and then Eve, of course, was brought to, to partner with him, both of them to reign. You were created to work. It's who we are. You were made for a relationship with God, of course. You were created because he loves you and he, and he wants to bless you. We weren't created in any ways to be like slaves of God or something like that. But he created us to partner with him and to work. You were created to have your muscles ache. You were created to sweat. You were created. Do you know that your, your brain, your brain's a muscle, right? You use it or you lose it, right? Did you know that if you don't use your brain, it will atrophied, right? Parts of your brain, it will atrophy if you, if you don't use it. But did you know if you continually are a learner, you continue to learn new things, especially new things, learn anything, it, you continue to read, you continue to learn things, but if you try new things, oh, I'm going to learn an instrument, oh, I'm going to study math or science, I'm gonna, you learn new things, and you keep that brain working, do you know you can continue to grow brain cells even into old age, like 80 and that kind of thing. They have proven that you can continue to exercise and grow that muscle. It's the same thing, do you know? It's the same thing with your physical muscles, right? Your, your arms, your legs. If you use your, your body, you can continue to stay flexible, you can continue to stay strong, but if you don't, it'll atrophy, right? You know, I heard a random statistic one time that, that the, uh, uh, the only thing that increases when somebody's unemployed, like the longer somebody's unemployed, the only thing that increases is the amount of time they sleep. The longer that we're inactive, the more we become inactive, right? And it's never good for our health. Why? Because we were created to work. We were created to be active, to work. You can, we know it. It's the way that we're formed. And yet when you're, when you're using your muscles, when you're using your brain, when you're working, you feel, we, we were created to have that sense of accomplishment, purpose, that sense of like, yeah, I'm tired at the end of the at the end of the, the work, work week or something like that. Now, overworking is bad and not taking a Sabbath is not good. We were never created for that kind of slavery or bondage or something like that. But I'm just saying we're created to work. There's balance in what I'm saying, but we were created to work. And you were saved to work. When Jesus died for you, you can see this in many scriptures, but I'm going to quote a couple to you here. Ephesians chapter 2, for example. When you were saved, you were saved by grace, and Jesus didn't save you from works. He didn't deliver you so that you could be lazy. I died on the cross, so you just sit back and relax, and I'll take care of the kingdom, right? No, not at all. Well, Jesus, you're building your church, so what do I got to do, right? You know what I'm saying? You got this thing covered, Jesus. On this rock, I'll build my church. Cool, right? That's cool. Jesus is going to do it, right? No. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Now go make disciples. He saved us by his grace so that we could work with him and partner with him. It was the fall that severed our relationship with God and severed our ability to partner with him and our ability to walk in holiness with the Lord. But Ephesians chapter 2, for example, it's the classic verse in verse 28 that we quote about the grace of God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What the Lord's saying is that you could never in yourself produce righteousness to earn forgiveness or salvation. No, in our day, when we sin, the Lord loved us. And with His own grace, He died, He shed His blood for us to forgive us of the penalty of sin, but also to deliver us from the power of sin. And He's saying it's by grace, it's not of yourself. It's not like, oh, look at me, I'm so good. You know, I pray and I fast, so that's why God loves me or has forgiven me. No, 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 not at all, right? But when you come into the kingdom, you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. When you come into the kingdom, he delivers you from sin. He delivers you from your own selfish things so that you can give yourself to his work, his agenda, his mission, and partner with him, fulfilling the purpose God has called you to. 
And that's why he goes on to explain. Paul will say this. He says, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you and I were created and saved or recreated so that we could do good works. We were created to work with God and to do these things for the Lord. And I'll tell you, you can look at your life and just read the, read the Gospel of Matthew like I've been encouraging you. Just read the Gospel of Matthew. It's really not that complicated. You can look at your life and see, am I doing the works of the Lord? Am I doing the work of the kingdom that Jesus says to do? Or am I not? See, you don't really need to sit around and go, Meh. Do I have enough faith? Do I really love God? I don't know if I love God or not. You're trying to analyze your own love. All that, that's condemnation, right? That's self-analyzation, like you're your own judge and jury. Most of the time we fail that, don't we? Some people who are prideful go, yeah, look at me, I love God. But a lot of us, we go, I don't know, right? You don't need to analyze your faith. It's real simple. Faith is thankful. Faith takes God at his word. Faith asks God. It's really that simple. Jesus said it this way. Hey, when you guys do, Matthew 6, right? When you guys do your charitable deeds, which really just means um, acts of righteousness, which can mean giving financially, it can mean helping the poor, visiting somebody in the hospital, clothing the naked, you know, feeding the hungry, uh, uh, hospitality, right, is a form of giving. You invite people over your home and you, and you love on them and stuff. All that stuff that the Bible describes that we are, as Christ followers, to do, sharing our clothes with people. You know, if you've got two jackets, you said give one to the poor, that kind of thing. Remember James said this is true religion, to keep oneself unspoiled from the world, right, from the worldly things, and to take care of orphans and widows, right? It's, I mean, it's real simple. Jesus says, when you do those things, in Matthew 6, he says, don't do it like the hypocrites. Dun, 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 dun. Look at me, everybody. I did this, I did that. Look at me, I'm so amazing. So the conclusion is, don't do charitable deeds, right? But this is what people say. I'm telling you, people will say, you're saved by grace, so you don't have to do those things anymore. Praise God. You know, I actually hear people say this about the Gospel of Matthew. They'll say, well, Jesus preached those things before he died on the cross, so those are like Old Testament. Oh, my goodness. Never, never, never believe someone's definition of grace as a license to sin. Don't be deceived. Jesus empowers you with his grace he saved you and forgave your sins and he loves you and he empowers you by his grace when he's teaching about giving and fasting and praying he is grace he is the messiah right he's teaching us what it looks like to live in the kingdom so you don't go like this well you know my heart really not in the giving my heart's not there you know i i'm full of ambition you know like clint, clint, clint hit this hard you know hey he, he, he's doing this thing for God called experimenting and it's totally the Lord. He said, I can either do it for the Lord or I can do it for myself. So you, he shifts his heart to do it for the Lord. Well, what, what, what do we go? Oh, well, there's a little ambition in Clint, so you should just stop doing experimenting, huh? No! That's silly, but do you, you know that people do this all the time. Well, you know, my, my heart's not really in it, you know? We're such a people led by feelings when we're to be led by the Spirit, Right? Oh, you know, my heart's not really in I, I, I was reading the Bible for the wrong reasons, so I just stopped doing it because it was legalism. No commandment in the Bible is ever legalism. If you're like, my heart's not in it, that's your problem. Religion, pharisaical religion, is when your heart's not in it or when you are doing it for some other reason, not his glory, Right? So if you're praying out of unbelief or praying to, like, manipulate God, well, then stop it. And start praying out of faith. I, I know I'm saying it somewhat like as if it's easy. But same thing with fasting, right? Jesus said it, don't fast so people can see you. Oh, we don't have to fast. No, 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 no. Jesus described the lifestyle of a disciple as praying, fasting, and giving. Those are the basics. Matthew 6. 
So what is he saying? Do your charitable deeds. Give your life away. Give your money away. Give your time away. Serve other people. Look for those people that you need to serve. Pray. Live a lifestyle of prayer. Live a lifestyle of fasting. This is the work of the Lord. Does that make sense? You were saved for this. You weren't saved so you could be lazy. You weren't saved so you didn't have to do it. Now, see, think about my son real quick. Let me think about my son, my daughter. All right, I mean, really all my kids because they're all help me out. I love it. I love it. My one-year-old, partly because he's number three and he's a, you know, we call him tag along, but uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, no, he, he loves to imitate his siblings. I don't mean that in any bad way. We call him a lot of things. He gets all the nicknames. Uh, Mr. Cuddles. Uh, now I call him Atu. I go, what's up, Atu? Because uh, that's his way of saying, me too, me too. Everything is me too, me too. Uh, he, everything, right? He wants, right? So he goes, Atu, Atu. I go, all right, Atu, you know. So, uh, so he gets all the nicknames. But even my one-year-old, yesterday, uh, I told my eldest, who's six, I said, all right, let's go. We're going to go outside. We're going to do some yard work. And so he comes outside with me. I'm trimming the bushes. We're cutting the bushes and stuff. And, and my son, it's kind of scary because I give my son hand clippers. And, uh, and uh, I tell him, okay, make sure you're, this hand's over here. And, you know, don't cut your finger off and everything. But anyway, so he's like trimming a little bit. He's cutting leaves. And we're working and stuff. My, little, my, my one-year-old comes out in his diaper in the front yard, you know, sagging the diaper and grabs the broom. And he's like sweeping. I've been trying, you know, trying desperately to sweep. And I was like, hey, buddy, I need the broom. And he's like, nah, mine, mine, mine. I mean, he's like obsessed, right? That's number three. So he's just, he's obsessed. Like, no, 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 it's my broom. I want to help. Uh, but I found this always with all of my three kids that if I, even if I don't invite them to help me, a lot of times they naturally want to help me. They naturally want to be with me and be a part of what I'm doing. Obviously, if I keep it fun and not be all, you know, Nazi or something. But he... They want to help me, yet at the same time, my six-year-old, he doesn't always want to help, right? And they only want to help for about, you know, four minutes and two seconds. But, but so, so, like, at Emma's age, or like Joshua's age, I expect nothing. At Emma's age, we just kind of invite her and she helps. She throws some leaves in the trash can or something like that. But at John David's age, I expected him. Right? His job is to clean the windows, and then Joshua comes along, cleans them, puts his mouth on it again, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And John David's expected to help me, and he's expected to help me longer than what he wants to help, right? But is my son paying for rent at my house? That's what I told him the other day. Well, your know, rent's about 300 You know, I was messing with him. He totally didn't understand. I was like, okay, forget it. It was a bad joke. I'm sorry. It was a joke. And uh, he's all, really? No, no, no. I don't know. We, I, I was like, that's a bad joke. Michelle's all, stop it. Um, does he have to earn anything from me? No. So you've got to understand what this is like here. We're not in debt to God. The debt's been paid. That's what works are. That's what the dead works of the law are. Trying to earn his love or his approval. Trying to somehow make it back into the house. Well, I'm, I'm like a slave level. And one day I'll be a son or a daughter once again. No, 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 no. You guys have seen the, you guys have heard the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son wastes his father's money and comes home just nothing. And the father braces him and celebrates and brings him back into sonship. You are sons and daughters of God. We're living in the kingdom. You're living in the father's house. You're not working for God. I mean, it's like, it's like, uh, it'd be like you and I having like a billionaire father and just like working in the family biz. You don't, you know what I'm saying? You're not working because like, man, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't go to work today, they're going to take my house, my car, I'm going to have to become a country singer, you know, that kind of thing. Like, they don't, <laughs> do you, do you understand, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? That they don't, you're not worried. There's no lack in the kingdom. God's not going to stop loving you. He's not going to stop, oh, I'm not going to provide for you. You are sons and daughters of the Father. You're working in the Father's house. My son is working with me more for his sake than anyone else, huh? Do I, do I really need his help that much? No. I mean, come on, when my son was two years old and I'm carrying like a big old like TV or something like that, uh, yes, I can carry a big TV. Uh, I'm carrying a big TV. Dad, I want to help. I want to help. Do you know 
that's kind of freaky, right? So usually with that kind of thing, you say, no, 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 not this time. But let's say I'm carrying like a box or something. Guess what I do nine times out of ten when my kids, you know, and honestly, we get into some big trouble in my house. Like we were painting, and my kid's like, I want to help. So guess what Dave Turner thinks? Oh, I want my kids to help because I want my kids to work. So I give them paint. It was bad, very bad idea. And it just stresses me out. But you know why I did it? Because I have a value that them working with me and me saying yes to them is actually more important than me getting the job done. So anyways, I thought about that. I realized, why did I say yes to them? Uh, I said, oh, because it's my values. But anyways, we can all balance that. But a lot of times, if I'm carrying a box, my kids want to help, or even Emma, right? I want to help, Dad. Here, you take a side, I'll take a side. I'm carrying 99% of it, right? Are they doing much? No, but they're doing it with me. But you're not, you're not like producing the kingdom, I've got to get people saved, you know? I've got to earn my badges in heaven. or I've got to, You're not working from a place of debt trying to earn God's favor. Dude, you're like the kid of a billionaire who's working with his or her father, partnering in the family business. Does that make sense? That you're not working for him but with him, really. And so let me read this to you here as we uh, just a couple more verses. Listen to Titus chapter 2 and 3. I think it's really important to hear how Titus describes this. I'm sorry, how, I'm sorry, how Paul describes this to Titus. This is Paul teaching us. And remember, Paul is the preacher of grace who says that we're saved by grace. And we're not earning it. It's not by works. And yet we've been saved to do these good works for the Lord. And so he says in, uh, in chapter 2, I think, <clears throat> yes, there it is. I love this. In verse 11, listen to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You hear that? The grace of God, that's Jesus, he is grace, has appeared to all men. And listen to what grace is doing. Teaching us, in verse 12, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. See, he put his righteousness in you that you would naturally produce righteousness. Christ is living in you. What did he do? He loved the lost, the poor, the broken. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. And he's living in you that you would do the works that he does and even greater work. So he's literally in you. Grace empowers you. Grace teaches you. Grace corrects you. Did you see how this worked in Peter's life. One minute Peter's in the spirit, and the next minute he's in the flesh, spouting off demonic lies. One minute Peter's like, yay, Jesus. And the next minute he's like, uh, I'm thinking I want to go with like saving my neck. So I'm going to tell Jesus what he should do. I'm going to make excuses. Well, you know, I can't really make decisions because you know, I'm not really ready for that. I'm still dealing with stuff in my life. You're ready to do the work of the Lord. His grace is in you to empower you. I heard the story of a, of a piano player, great piano player, playing the piano, playing the piano, and the, and the, and the piano thing that closes the piano and uh, protects the keys, it fell on his fingers. Oh, ow, hurt my fingers, right? And, and you know, he's, and the, uh, he's, oh, man, my fingers hurt. And, and one of the guys looked at him and said, can you still play? Yeah, do it. The thing hit his fingers. Ow, oh, my fingers. But he still got all five of them. It's not like the thing cut him off, right? Now listen to me. He said, oh, but I'm struggling with something. You're not dead. Oh, but I'm really going through something in my life. You're not dead yet? You still got five fingers? In fact, a lot of times the thing that you're going through, 2 Corinthians 1 says, we go through stuff so that the God of comfort would comfort us so we can comfort others. Oftentimes, the very thing that you're struggling with, if you're being honest and real and, and getting rid of it, or you're struggling with something, you're just believing God and you're struggling, that's the very place where you can come alongside somebody else and say, brother, sister, this is what I'm going through. You're not dead. Your fingers are still on. Play the piano. You know what I'm saying? Do the work of the Lord. This is what the Lord's saying is that grace, where sin abounds, grace all the more. It doesn't mean, whew, good thing I can sin. 
No, grace is not a license of sin. It's not a license to be lazy. Grace is the empowerment for you to say no to sin. Did you see that? Deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Deny your selfish desires and the covetedness and the greed of this world. And embrace a lifestyle of righteousness, godliness. Looking for the, verse 13, looking for the and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who, listen, listen, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Right here it says that word that, who gave himself for us that, that means purpose. That means that he literally went to the cross because he loves you, but it says the purpose for which he died was to deliver you from lawless deeds, just selfishly living for yourself, and so that you would be excited to do good works. He literally wants a people like that. He died so that there would be a people that says, yeah, I want to do stuff for God. I want to kick the devil in the teeth, and I want to rescue people from hell and from bondage and oppression and injustice. Amen? Amen? Zealous. Zealous. Excited. Passionate. Committed. Giving your whole self to these things. Amen? That's why he died for us. He goes on, Paul goes on and says, he explains it, he says in verse 4, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 4, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, he's basically saying the same thing, when the grace of God appeared, when the kindness and the love of God appeared, Jesus is the embodiment of all these things. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through jesus christ our savior that having been justified by his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life this is a faithful saying and these things i want to affirm to you constantly that those who have believed in god should be careful to maintain good works these are good and profitable to men what is he saying isn't that amazing that on one hand, in the same letter, in the same verses, he says, you have not been saved by righteous acts that you have done. You've been saved by the grace of God. It's his mercy, and he has given you his spirit to make you alive and born again, and that spirit in you is producing his righteousness. And yet he says, and yet we're called to good works. You see that? You're called, and you were created, saved to do good works. And listen, your calling, as we've been talking about, your calling is a part of your life, which is under God's life which is in Christ. And so though each of us have specific callings and stuff like that, it's not about, well, what's my calling? And where's my calling? And where should I go? And what should I do? You'll hear me often say this, your calling is less about those things. Although, yes, you have specific gifts and God probably calls some of you to different places and you might be called to do different things because we're all parts of the body and all that. Amen, hallelujah. But listen, it's not about that as much as it's about doing the mission and the work of Jesus. What's he doing? And I'll tell you this, it's not rarely a question of what or where. It's a question of who. It's interesting in Matthew 25 when Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goat. And the sheep and the goats. And the one group stands before him and says, hey, when did we, when did we feed the poor and like visit the prisoners and all that? When did we do all that? And he goes, when you did that to the least of these, you did it to me. So that means when you saw somebody on the street who was hurting or who was poor and you helped them, you were helping me. What's very interesting in Matthew 25, you can look this up later, the ones who didn't do it, they literally say this. Hey, when, when, did, we, when did we see you and not minister to you? When did we see you and not minister to you? Your ministry is about a, a who. It's about the person right in front of you. The point is that those people that Jesus says, I don't even know you. He says, you saw people in pain. You saw people hurting. And you said, well, if, it's, if it was Jesus, I would help them. And you miss the who, right? You miss that every person is made in my image and valued by me. You missed to minister to them. My point is, and I think the point from that parable that Jesus is making is that the ministry is to who? It's not what, well, am I called to children's ministry? Am I called to this? Now, you might be called to kids or inner healing or worship ministry, whatever. I mean, but all of us are called to make disciples, period, because that's what Jesus is doing. It might be you're better working with kids than I am. Well, okay, great, you know. But it's more about a who. And the who is who's right there in front of you. 
That's really where we need to start. Let me just end with this verse here. I want to leave you with this verse. I want to encourage you to to meditate on this. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. And then Sam's going to come up and lead us in response. It's at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. And if you know uh, about 1 Corinthians 15, it's when Paul is describing the resurrection of the dead and us reigning with Christ. And he's describing when death is no more. So he's talking about the fact that we're going to reign with Jesus and live with Jesus. It's awesome. And he literally ends his discussion about the resurrection with this verse in verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. What did Jesus say? I will reward according to what you have done. The check's in the mail. You put your life, you throw your life into the work of the kingdom. You make his agenda your agenda. And like Clint said, if a servant makes the master's agenda his agenda, that servant's going to get hooked up. It's true. And Jesus told us that constantly. You seek my agenda. You put people that I care about first in your life. And you put the work of the Lord. What does it mean, the work of the Lord? It's whatever the Lord's doing. The work of the Lord. What did Jesus do when he was on earth? Do that. The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. Did you hear that? So now, in light of the fact that he's going to hook you up, in light of the fact that he's coming back, in light of that, the check's in the mail, what does Paul say to these Corinthians and to us? Make sure you're always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Are you living in community where you're giving as well as receiving? Ministering to the needs of the saints? Are you reaching out to those who don't know Jesus? Are you stopping for that one who is the least and doing unto that person as unto Jesus? Do the work of the Lord, right? Abound in the work of the Lord. And I love it. I love that we raised money for a house in Haiti. I love that Sean O'Grady getting people healed all over the place. I love that our church is moving in this and the Lord's refining this. I love that he's at APU and a girl's got a sciatic nerve problem. And he gets a bunch of his classmates because you're a leader developer and a releaser. And he has a, girl put, he has a girl put her hand on the other girl's back who has a sciatic nerve problem and real painful. And, and, and the girl felt the bump disappear. It's like, oh, the bump disappeared. And the girl who was, had the bump and the sciatic nerve problem, pain gone. Another girl had sunglasses on because of migraine. And I don't know if you laid hands on her or somebody else laid hands on her and the migraine gone. Right there in class. This is the kind of stuff that happens in our church. Because why? We are church everywhere we go, right? It's amazing. In, in, in any given week, you are out there ministering to people. You are out there giving your life away. We are here coming together. I, this is amazing. I mean, Michelle and I were like blown away that we exceeded our goal to raise a ha- money for a house in Haiti. That, that we together came, came together as a, as a family to give away. Or like... We have a brother who's in, in, in prison. The Bible says that you stand in solidarity with that person. And you, you know, and that's why we write our friend who's in prison. We call, you know, we, he calls us. I don't know if I can call him. But you see what I'm saying? We, we reach out. And so make sure you're in ministry. Make sure you're using your gifts for others. Make sure that when you come to church on Sunday, you're thinking of others and not just yourself. When you're at a picnic or a life group, make sure that you're thinking, who doesn't know Jesus in my life? Here's how I think of it. I got my crosshairs. Like a sniper, and if somebody comes in, my, in view, they're mine. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get you, right? Amen. Sam, come on up. Lead us in response.